pray, Lord, that this, this will come arrive in our hearts with, with real clarity. And that we would see what Paul is doing here and we would embrace it in our own lives. Thank you that your word at times is, is challenging because it requires us to study. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we have our, our Bible uh, here and that we have our own copy of it. And we can hear from you that you haven't left us to, to myth and to legend, but you've given us your very word. And so we ask that you would uh, be among us and communicate to us what we need to hear from what you've revealed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, all right, Second Corinthians is winding down. Um, just got one more message after this on the, Paul's use of his words in, in the benediction there at the end. Um, today, uh, I want to look at this challenging passage. Uh, as I was studying this, I thought about, I thought, oh no, not again, kind of a, an opaque passage that's a little bit hard to, hard to grasp right at first. Like, what's going on here again? I thought, I, what's, what's happening here? So if you are, as you heard God's word this morning read, and you're saying, wait, wait, I, I had a hard time following that, uh, that makes sense. Um, because it's a difficult passage to, to interpret, or to at least just understand at the first, at first glance. Um, let me unpack this a little bit for you. Uh, first of all, there is two kinds of tests going on. The Corinthians are being asked to test themselves. You saw that in verse 5, right? So Paul is summarizing his whole epistle, and he's saying, essentially, look, you're going to have to examine yourselves whether or not Christ is in you, and you're going to respond to his Paul's authority. But there's a test. It's a test, and I'll explain a little bit more about what that looks like in verse 5, but that's the test for the Corinthians. Let's just put that there. And there's a sort of a separate test going on where Paul is talking about himself as an apostle having a test or Paul and his companions having a test, right? Uh, and says, in fact, he, he even says in verse 7, uh, verse, verse 6, he says, verse 6, he says, I hope that we, you will find out that we have not failed the test. Well, what would that test be, right? But we pray to God that you may not do wrong not that we may appear to have met the test. So it's a little complicated. Like, wait a minute. Is Paul being tested? Yes. The Corinthians are being tested. So sort of what's going on here? We have one test for the Corinthians, and that is examine yourselves. And there's another test for Paul, and he's, he's wondering if he's failed the test. Uh, or even in verse end of verse 7, he says, though we may have seemed to have failed the test. Notice that language though we may have seemed to have failed the test. Well, that's kind of key. So well, I, hope that, I hope that helps right there. The test for the Corinthians and the test of the Apostle Paul. And Paul, well, have we appeared to fail the test? And he doesn't seem to be that concerned about it. Okay? So what's going on here? Well, first for the Corinthians, the test is, you've got to make some some time to examine yourselves. The test is whether or not do you find the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you? Do you find evidence of salvation? Do you find growth in holiness? Do you find yourself teachable to the idea of repentance? 
Are your, will your hearts remain hard? So the test is really a test of the assurance of salvation. And this is a standard thing in the church. We would say that it's great when someone professes faith. Wow, that's awesome. When someone uh, says the vows of membership in church, that is fantastic. When someone is, uh, is, is baptized, right? All these, all these steps of, that indicate conversion, that's fantastic. But there's the ongoing, you could almost say probationary life we have. Because it's easy to sort of profess faith. You can say these words. You, you can uh, perhaps uh, say the words of, of the vows of membership. And you, you can get started in this Christian life, right? But Paul is also, we're now finding out that the Corinthians are having to decide what kind of future are they going to have. Are they really going to listen to their own apostle? Are they going to turn to their, these new false teachers? Have they embraced a false gospel? And so it's time for them to test themselves. Will they adhere to apostolic teaching? That's actually, first, in First John, that is taught as a test for whether or not a person is a Christian. And is the testimony of the Spirit actually in a person? So this is a kind of a, this is, it's, a it's a big thing, isn't it? Test yourself. All right, I think we've got that down. Now, the second test is a little unusual because Paul is sort of, he's kind of okay. End of verse 7, he seems to be saying, it may seem like we failed the, the test, right? Well, what is that talking about? Well, now we go back into the history of what's going on with the Corinthians. The Corinthians wanted a strong apostle. The opponents of Paul wanted a strong demonstration of authoritarian leadership. And Paul interprets this as a test of his apostleship. Will he be a, an authoritarian leader? Will he be a, let's get this going, will he be a strong leader in a worldly sense? The Corinthians are willing to have this. They've adopted this in their new teachers. Worldliness in leadership tends to be authoritarian. So the test has been manufactured by Paul's opponents. Now, I just noted a couple of things in the worship folder for you, that this passage is a show and tell of the gospel's power alive in the leader's heart. Again, I want you to just see this from Scripture. In verse 7, he says, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that, excuse me, but we pray, excuse me, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Now Paul's using the test of a true apostle. So in one sense he's saying, your test over there at Corinth, like for me to be an authoritarian leader, well, I'm not concerned about that one. And if I fail that, that's okay. But I haven't failed the test of being an apostle. So Paul wants the Corinthians to be reconciled to him. And he wants the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. He wants the Corinthians to thrive. He doesn't want this whole experience to be about him and his authority. Paul wants to see God work through his writings so that when he 
arrives there, it will be a peaceful experience with the apostles, with the, with the Corinthians. Will Paul assert himself as a as an authoritarian tyrant? Will he give in to the appeal to impress the Corinthians? Or will he really just let the gospel be his identity? Let his acceptance through Jesus be everything for him? And so I've entitled today this message, it's called Efforts of Grace, the Efforts of Grace. Paul's effort here is to build up the Corinthians and not to build up himself. Paul wants them to be restored. He's building them up. This is a major task for those in leadership in the church. For we who in, in the church who may not have a leadership role, it's the same task. Our words are to edify and to build up. The goal is to have the Corinthians restored. Now, in verse 8, Paul says, we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Now, that can be a little bit difficult passage. What's he, what's he talking about, the truth? Well, the truth, of course, is expressed in Christ, that he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. And that the Apostle Paul has embraced being weak in Jesus, being, being, being perceived as weak, but united to Christ and expressing true spiritual power. So what's the truth that can't be changed? The truth is that, well, Paul isn't going to make things easier for himself. He may, in fact, be weak. And he's working in his apostolic work to build up people in the gospel. He also will not adjust the truth to excuse the Corinthians' sin. Right? And so he is controlled by the truth and not by his own agenda. Right? That's a good way. He's controlled by the truth and not by his own agenda. So this is very, very important for us when we are working with each other. We all have our own agendas and desires and hopes and goals. And yet, as we embrace a gospel viewpoint on people, we begin to change in our view of what people are for. Paul says in verse 9, We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Notice, look at verse 9. Your restoration is what we pray for. So that's a person that really doesn't have an agenda. So the Corinthians are not an extension of Paul's church-planting kingdom identity something, whatever he thinks he's going to get by being an effective church planter. Nope, he just wants what's good for the Corinthians. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. Verse 10, it concludes, continues, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Now that tearing down, of course, I think is referring to the style of leadership that the Corinthians have, have embraced. And again, I want to emphasize that all of our words as Christians are intended to do edification. They're intended to build up. 
every word, every word, even uh, every word is intended for the good of someone. Now, there are temptations that Paul is resisting here. And I, I want you to see what's going on in Paul as he writes this. He's being tempted to assert himself and show himself as a real authority. Don't you like strong leadership, right? That's probably the one word we associate with leadership. We always want strong leadership, right? It's the only kind of leadership there is. Well, Paul's sort of backing away from an opportunity to take center stage in this whole thing. We always want to appear we all we always want to appear strong. We always sort of like that, right? And yet, Second Corinthians probably has thrown a, a wrench in our identity. Paul has embraced the idea that he's weak, um, and is if that weakness allows people to see Christ in him, all the more. From one of the uh, discipleship manuals I have, uh, it, it reads: "We love the strength that comes from youth, money, beauty." intelligence, prestigious work, good health, or fame. Doesn't that feel strong? We love that strength. We work hard to be in positions of strength in our relationships through manipulation, control, intimidation, and anger. We try to control our lives, our homes, our families and friends, and enemies. To maintain this supposed position of strength, we hate to take the weak position position of powerlessness. Was Jesus a strong leader? In a sense, he was, wasn't he? We think of him clearing out the the money changers in the temple. Are there demonstrations of strength in Jesus' life? Yes, that's true. But what kind of strength? What kind of power? What kind of authority? Or what kind of leadership was it? It was the leadership that became a leadership to serve purposes in order to redeem people, in order to help people, in order to save people. In a sense, strong is not quite the right word for the leadership of Jesus. Merciful leadership might be better. He was willing to embrace the leadership that was required. He was willing to embrace suffering, which was the leadership that he was to demonstrate. His leadership leadership did what love required. It was leadership that suffered and took the low place. So think about this in your own life. Here we have Paul, who planted this church, has had all kinds of problems with these people. And he could have just sort of been a bull in a china closet and just started telling them what to do and what not to do and how to respond and what this... He could have just gone in there and just, you know, wrecked havoc on the place because he was just upset and angry. But he doesn't do that. He says, really, well, if I've failed the test of being some strong leader and yet you are built up in the gospel and you have repented and I failed that test, that's fine. 
Think about this in the things you want in your relationships. Think about the things you want in your life, the things that grip you, grip your heart tightly. And how do you act? How do you respond? Do you respond, well, if, it, if it's good for that person, well, I'm glad. You don't get any prestige out of it. You're not part of the decision. You're not part of the, the glory of it. In fact, you're not even honored or acknowledged. Oh, well, as long as someone else is built up in, in the gospel, someone else is thriving, you know what? That's my job, to make others look good, to help them build up, right? Be built up. What I'm trying to say is this. If you're not going to love people, then something else is going on. Listen to that. If you're not going to just love people, which is a challenging thing to do, but if you're going to, if you want something else out of them and you're also going to maintain that, oh, I'm loving you as well, it's going to be really hard to be sincere. So if you're not loving people, if that's not the place you're coming from, then something else is going on. You have another agenda. If a person just wants what's good for others, if a person just speaks words to build up, if a person just wants others to be edified, repent, and flourish, if a person just wants others to be reconciled to God, grow in grace, and flourish, I'm going to give you my theory behind that person. That person is a renewed Christian. If a person is just loving toward other people without an agenda... Uh, they got to have some love building them up. they got to have some way of maintaining their identity in their life because that's giving and giving and giving without any sense of return. That's pretty strong stuff. I'm going to suggest to you that's a renewed Christian. That's a person who is sincere in their love because they are tapping into the grace of God for them, and that grace is more than enough. They are resting in all that they have in Jesus and serving others and not using others. They don't need the performance of others to bolster their self-image. They don't need someone else to do this, be this, in order for them to be okay. Now, this is a major issue in our day and age. If we can just fix that, fix those people, fix that political, this, that, if we can just, if we can just, and the fingers are going, the fingers are going. And Paul says, it's okay if I fail this test. It's not my concern. The only news I want to hear from Corinth is that you have turned to Jesus. I don't want to hear any news about me. That I'm amazing, I'm great, I'm a fantastic leader. It's not, it doesn't interest me. So here's the question for us. Are we resting in all that Jesus is for us? And are we experiencing renewal? Such that we can take the low place? Or do we need the performance of others to bolster our, our self-image? It's the pastor who needs a church to be a certain way in order for him to be okay. That's, that's a, not a good place to be. Miserable. So I put this in the worship folder there. Christians experiencing renewal see the rock-solid acceptance, righteousness, 
they have in Christ and seek to live based on that. They have learned to see that seeking an appearance is a form of seeking righteousness. And that's a lot to think about. So if I am preoccupied with how I'm coming across trying to impress you in a certain way, right? I want you to give me something back. So let's say I'm trying to, I don't know, be hip and current and whatever. Okay, so I'm dressing a certain way or I'm talking a certain way or I'm, right? In other words, I want you to say something about me that makes me feel uh, contemporary and, and, and with it, right? So I have with it righteousness, right? Now, the quest for an appearance is a, is a it, maybe it's not a big issue for you. The quest for an appearance is a way of seeking righteousness, something that makes you look beautiful. Here Paul is like, Paul is saying, He's been accused of all kinds of crazy things. He's answered them directly at times. He's being, he's being told you're, you're weak and you're not all that. And he goes, oh, well, that's his answer. In fact, I embrace weakness. What else am I going to do? This isn't about affirming my strength. How can anyone walk with Jesus and affirm their own strength? So, so it's quite remarkable how he's able to live with this remarkable power that, that kind of it disregards appearance-seeking. And Paul mentions this early in the epistle, that the Corinthians had bought into what's called earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is looking for strength, looking for uh, uh, prestige. Uh, earthly wisdom, right? There must have been some prestigious towns uh, in in the days of Jesus. Maybe Jerusalem would be the one. Maybe that would be the maybe the educational center. Maybe that was where Harvard was. You know, it was Jesus. Not takes these these. Well, can we call them buffoons? Can we? Call, he takes these fishermen and says, "Okay, we're, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to be the, you're going to be the the key leaders." In a new movement of rescue around the world, you're going to be phase one. And he re- completely rebuilds them. And the question people have is, where are they from? Wait, aren't these just Galilean fishermen? They're not qualified to do this. You, you can't be saying the things that you're saying because you're not qualified. You don't have the credentials. So you, don't, you, you can't do this, right? So it's the earthly wisdom power structure that is is dismantled by the ministry of Jesus. So I, I write this here that in the in the worship folder, people's approval can function. Again, this is where do you find approval from maybe going to the right schools, uh, quoting the right theologians. Um, where do you find your approval? It can function like an addiction in us. We can be addicted to the news we want to hear from people. Right? What's the news you want to hear from people? This could be news that they notice how athletic we are, news that they get how cool or with it we are, news they have they notice we are worthy of a promotion or raise. So I find this to be 
a gospel show and tell passage where Paul is saying, saying, this is not about me. And he's backing away from any temptation. And it was a temptation to be the center of the whole conversation and about his leadership and about worldly leadership that seeks to appear a certain way. Think about this then, the news that you want to hear from people. And now, I think we're all aware of kind of the theme of the message today. So here's my thought. What we have to do is we have to figure out a way where the news that's in Jesus is the best news possible all the time. That's what we've got to figure out. I'm here to help you as a struggling sinner because I buy into the news I want to hear from someone else. I buy into it. And I lose sincerity in love, sincerity in love, whenever I have some agenda for you, right? And I've got to have a foundation where the news that's in Jesus is sweeter than I thought, deeper than I imagined, more glorious than I ever conceived. This is what has to happen. Scotty Smith calls it gospel re-astonishment. Gospel re-astonishment. What is the news that you are dying to hear? And this would be, this would be honest, just an honest time with, with uh, you and God, maybe a friend, if you want me to pray with you, be with you. Maybe there's just a deep ache in your heart, news that you want to hear. You want to hear something about, that you, you, feel, you, you feel valued. You feel loved. You feel appreciated. You feel involved, cared for, noticed. Someone once said that we live in our feelings. We live in our feelings. This is where we want to work. Is this news something I'm dismissing and putting off the side? Yeah, an hour on Sunday. Yeah. But is it something, or is it central to the whole of my being? I cannot live without this news. Second Corinthians has taught me this. Well, this, I thought ministry was difficult, and then I read Second Corinthians. I went, oh, and then I, and he and he stays with it. What's going on inside this man? What's going on inside this man? To disregard the approval of people, the approval of people is great. It's fine. I'll take it. Right, taking encouragement notes. Thank you for all your encouragements last week. Fantastic. This is a man living in power. This is a man living in freedom. This is a man living without without an agenda for people. Be, such that they could build him up. It, this is sincere love. That's the place we want to be as a church. We want to pursue sincere love. You see, Husbands, imagine your wives grasping. When my husband speaks to me, I know he is sincere. And he sincerely loves me and wants what's right for me. What is the news that we need to hear? And ask yourself, 
ask yourself, what is the news I'm desperate to hear? And then I would ask that you would say, but isn't that news somewhere in what Jesus is for me and has done for me? It's there. I, I promise you it's there. It may not be easily found, but it is there. If you feel abandoned, there is love for you. If you feel hurt from your childhood, there is love for you. If you feel that your life is meaningless and empty, there is news for you. There's deep, deep purposes for you. And if you feel like you have failed all the different tests of people around you and at work, all the earthly wisdom that you're supposed to uh, appease and uh, uh, comply with, you feel like a failure. See? Jesus is close to you, identifies with that, understands that fully. Some of us may need to just say, you know, I'm going to just give up all this pretense. All the all the, the appearances I've been trying to keep up. And uh, I'm going to be okay with, with some honesty. Honesty in my relationships, honesty in my relationship with God. So I, uh, I want to commend to you the efforts of of grace. The efforts of grace are pursuing the news, pursuing this cross. You mean it's here that I will find the news that I need? It's here in this cross. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am um, among those who struggle. And um, Well, this is a a story of renewal, and uh, we often have focused, Lord, on the Corinthians. Uh, but the deliverer is a one who struggles like us, but has tapped into a way of living in power and freedom. And so, Lord, we pray that you could mold us and shape us into that kind of community. Uh, Help us not be afraid of pursuing it and of enjoying, uh, enjoying the process. Thank you that you are so committed to us, that you are rich in your grace, and it is grace upon grace, and that you have given uh, this pulpit, you've given us the gospel for the purpose of building up, that as we encounter each other, Lord, as people encounter me, I know that, I know that man is going to try to build me up. Lord, if I fail, please help me to know that. Lord, as we talk to each other, we want to build each other up. We want to... You who have claimed us, you have put your spirit within us, you who are now no longer against us, Father, help us to be for what you are for. And Lord, thank you for the marvelous restoration that's underway and that you are 
kind to your people, kind to your church, and you give us this news, and you awaken us, and you re-astonish us, and you are patient with us, and you know us, you know who we really are, and you are still with us. Thank you for this gospel. Thank you for this hope. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.